How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220, or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. This week, one of my children's favourite teachers, surfer, lover of the ocean, and a self-proclaimed mermaid during her childhood, Nat Potter. Anyone who knows Nat knows that she draws people to her through being a genuine, authentic individual who cares for others and she loves paying it forward. We speak about her early days and how she developed a deep love for the ocean, challenges she's had along the way including losing loved ones and fulfilling her dream of becoming a mother. A really educational part of this chat is her journey into teaching and strategies that she uses to engage with children and others. A chat about her well-being program that she uses in her school is worth you taking the time to listen to this pod alone, trust me. Last but not least, we speak about her self-titled dream team, the Albert Street Gang, which sees a bunch of ocean lovers surfing and swimming all year round. She tells us about the origins of the group, the benefits to organisers and participants, the importance of having your own tribe and community, and what it means to be stoked and to share the stoke. I was really keen to get Nat in for a chat, and I'm glad I did. I'm sure you're going to love it. Talk hard! It's like, of course I'm not going to walk again. Like, that's just the reality, isn't it? And the doctor that rang mum said, oh, we've saved your um, son's life. And I remember looking up and just saying, <laughs> that wasn't out. And he looked at me and he said, no, it wasn't. But I didn't want to give you not out because you're my son. And I said, fuck me, Dad. I just remember her telling us, your daughter's got um, leukaemia. You're in school. Oh, we swapped class a couple of times. Who's cluey or out of the two? Both got the same smartness. <laughs> not real smart at all. <laughs> If you are dedicated to something, as long as it's safe and it's not hurting anyone else, I don't think anything should hold you back. Keep pushing forward, you know. Days get tough sometimes. You know, it does turn around. You just got to fight for it a little bit. I was like, why can't we be that 1% that survived? She said to me then, she goes, you were more like me than I ever realised. The Talk Hard Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Matt Potter, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Brendan. How's the school holidays going? Uh, great, thank you. Yes, Good. enjoying every second. Yep. How's the um, complexities between being a school teacher and being a mum? You've, you're obviously used to taking a whole class of kids and keeping them engaged and keeping them entertained. How does that translate to the to the home life? Do the kids sort of still respond the same way or do you use the same tactics at home, do you? Um, my kids get annoyed because they sometimes yeah, remind me that, you know, we're not at school, mum, and not everything has to be a teaching moment. But um, <laughs> And again, that's mainly just sort of with the emotional stuff. Like, yeah, I always like to, yeah, there's always a, yeah, something to learn. Yeah. But um, no, we just love our holidays and love that, yeah, we don't have to be anywhere at a time. So we can just, you know, get up and do what we want. And that's, yeah, pretty special. But, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, as we were talking about there before and we've spoken about during the week, I'm really excited to have you on, but I don't think I'm as excited as my kids when they found out that we were having you on. So my kids generally will ask me who, we, who we've got coming on this week, and it's, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. When they heard that Mrs. Potter was coming on... Um, 
you've got to ask her about this, you've got to ask her about this. So I do have a few little little things that they want me to ask you about. Well, they're all beautiful kids. So, yes, your three are both, yeah, all three are absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> they take after their mothers, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, take us back to the start. Whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in Launceston, yep. um, in Youngtown. Um, my mum and we, my mum still lives in the same house. So, yep. So when we go and visit Nen, so it's the same house that I grew up, which was awesome. Yep. Um, and then, so my mum and dad, but we'll talk about that obviously a little bit later. So my dad passed away in 2004. Uh, I have a sister, three years older than me, and she lives yeah, really close to mum. So that's awesome. Five minutes away. Um, so I grew up in Lonnie, stayed in Launceston, and then moved down the coast in 1999, my yep. first year teaching. Yep, awesome. Yeah. And as a child, like you were telling me there before, the ocean played such a big part in your life. And obviously that's one thing that we're really going to talk about because a lot of people know about the Albert Street Gang. We'll get onto that a little bit later on. But where did the ocean come into into your life and how did it come into your life? Well, my dad was a keen keen fisherman and keen diver. So yep. they were his like yeah, major passions in life. We always joked that he loved, you know, that more than he loved, you know, his, his kids and family. I'm sure he didn't. <laughs> but um, he was, yeah, extremely passionate. So he spent, you know, every weekend diving and um, tuna fishing. He was a big uh, poacher, which isn't yet yeah, totally against. So, yeah, we differed on many, many views. So dad, you know, back in the day, yeah, he poached big time, which isn't good, and um, would sell his crayfish and sell his abalone. And, um, yeah, then as as it got, as we, oh, probably high school grade seven I think I did the dive course with dad and my older sister did it as well yep. so then we'd tag along with him on weekends uh, when we'd get we'd go um, fishing or diving um, and then we also had a shack at Anson's Bay yep. so my grandparents owned a shack so ever since I was probably I think three weeks old was my first time down there I think that was sold maybe in my 20s but yep. we spent yeah every holiday at Anson's Bay so we'd yeah fish and dive and um whereabouts yeah. at Anson's Bay was it because I spent a lot of time there it I love Anson's was so you know where the um you know where the shop was yep the shop so if you go past there so if you sort of you know a couple of minutes past there and then as you sort of go around the dirt road on the right hand side there were those four houses yep so we were just yeah right on the water so um that yep. was yeah a magic 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 spot awesome. so we spent lots of yeah lots of time there and yeah. then as well as that so you know dad was probably yeah, the big influence that you know now again the funny part is that dad like i said ocean was his world so my mum my mum and dad got together in grade eight and um they were together yeah from grade eight at the end of grade 10 they had a year apart um where i think dad went and shagged everything he probably could and then so did his yeah, wild oats he did and then they got back together and then they were together yeah until he died and yeah mum's yeah had the one partner and so that was yeah saying that about mum sorry that they're complete opposites so they say opposites attract but mum hates and still to this day she hates outside she hates the sun she hates the salt she hates right. the water she can't swim yep. hates it all so you clearly and took after dad yes, not mum then. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um and on that as well so i think i mentioned before that so when i was younger i watched the movie splash have you seen splash yeah yep. yep. okay so I, it's a classic. I was going to talk to you about yep. this it's yep. an absolute classic so i watched that and then i firmly believed since i was like super young that I was yeah part mermaid so my sister was very embarrassed to bring friends around because I truly believed and I just remember that was such a big part of my childhood we had like a little off-peak heater in the um, hallway of our house and I just remember hours on end I'd lie on this heater and shut my eyes and just visualize and pretend that I was yeah a mermaid in the ocean and then when we'd go to Anson's Bay they were like um, down at the beach there were like these two big rocks that I named Orca and Jaws and I would spend hours upon hours on my own just sitting on the rocks and pretending that they were real and that I was a mermaid 
to the point where at home I would hop in the bath and then when I'd get out of the bath I'd have to dry with my hair dryer my tail first to turn back into my legs so my sister was mortified because she just thought I was an embarrassment to the family but that, yeah, that I, I don't know how long that lasted but that lasted a long time so yeah. when I share that with my kids now that yeah mortified as well yeah but um yeah so that was sort of all yeah so I've always just yeah been in love with it yep so yeah. what stage did you come to the realization that you weren't a mermaid and you had to well i still i actually still probably do believe that they are out there somewhere so everyone yeah, is quite horrified by that i do realize that i'm not so maybe high school i realized that i wasn't a mermaid so much of the ocean hasn't been explored so i just think you just yet yeah, you never know it so, could, yeah, could never be know. anything out there yeah, that's yeah. exactly right um, and was it always the ocean for you? Like, was there any um, other sports or anything that you got into? Or um, yeah, so growing up, um, I sort of tried, it's quite comical, so I tried lots of, you know, dance, gymnastics, all yep. these things. Was hopeless at all of it. Um, it wasn't my thing at all. Um, and then in primary school, maybe grade four, maybe grade three, grade four, was, yeah, obsessed with horses. So yep. just was horse mad. Yep. And where we lived, so where mum still is, just up the road, which is all being turned into housing now, were these huge big paddocks that had horses. So I begged and begged um, for a horse. And then, yes, they gave, I got one in, I think, grade six or grade seven. So then I was horse mad until into my 20s. So that, yeah, which was really healthy because that's what I spent all of my spare time doing, going yep. up and riding and... We, um, there were a couple of friends that, that lived close by that were into it as well. And we would, uh, then we adjusted our horses at another place. And this lovely man, Alan, so just the most beautiful childhood memories, we would um, truck. So he would organise it all. So we'd put the horses on a truck and truck them to um, Bridport. And then we'd do a three-day ride home from Bridport back to Lonnie. Wow. And so carry our gear and camp on the way. And they'd have vehicles, you know, trailing along as well. And How old were they you? Were, yeah, I would have been grade, you know, seven, eight. Yep. Yeah, so high school when I was yeah, doing that. And, yep. yeah, we went to Derby and... Winalier and yeah, some amazing places, and it was yeah, super fun. Unreal. So that was really enjoyable. How would you go now, like with your kids being around that sort of age, asking them or yeah, getting them to would... do it? Would you <laughs> would you still be happy for them to oh, do it? Or times have changed a bit, haven't times they? Times have changed, so yeah, mum would want to go along. So yeah, so my parents, <laughs> mum was a real, real warrior. She still is, worries about everything. Dad was, you know, easy happy-go-lucky sort of guy yep. um so she would stress so she obviously did a lot of um yeah checking and the guy that was organizing it all you know spoke to him numerous times to make sure it was all safe they had you know the backup vehicle so it was all done really well yep. but yeah she was very kind and yeah let us go yep but um yeah times have definitely changed like going back to anson's bay we'd go over to the big beach that you would know so yep. you know you'd walk across to that and it's obviously you know big powerful beach big strong undertow and as kids we'd be over there you know on our own swimming and i just think now like mum how did you how did you there's no way i'd let my kids do that like how did we not drown come back will just yeah it was yeah, yeah. pretty scary yeah so yeah things have changed and you talked there before about your mum being the protective one your dad sort of been a little bit more sort of casual and stuff like you've, you told me a few stories of your dad as far as diving and things like that like he was a pretty hard bastard wasn't he on his as well he was hard as did that yep. make you resilient or did you learn stuff from yes no I, I, absolutely and i still have dad's voice playing um in my head yeah, all of the time so dad was very much about you know no excuses your choice so when i was at school and college and going through uni if i'd come home and complain about geez i'm busy and i've got all this stuff to do assignments etc dad's like it's your choice you know yep. that's your choice so you know get it done suck up you know suck it up and deal with it yep um same with the diving so like i was in grade seven when we did that um and again we'd go um to various places and we'd have to lug our tanks and whatnot all along the beach dad would never assist in any way it was like you know 
you're doing it so you're doing it yourself and yep. um yeah you'll just need to carry it and if you're exhausted yeah you're exhausted tough yeah. luck and sometimes you had to use some equipment that wasn't 100% you told me like something yes. that was a little bit dodgy yeah, <laughs> tell was, us about yeah. that it was often very dodgy so we because dad owned a um uh, scuba skiing tackle shop yep. and so we got to use all of the um, high gear which was great but the high gear was always faulty so we always had the faulty equipment so most times when we would dive you know my regulator or whatnot would be you know leaking air and different things and I'd say to dad dad you know this is leaking I can hear it is it okay and he'd be like yep she's right Poss you'll be right you'll just run out of air a lot quicker so just make sure you look at your gauge and you know come back when don't be too know, deep when it's, yeah, <laughs> when it's you know on 50 bar or whatnot so I'm like yep okay um, so yeah, and again, it was just yeah, tough luck. That's the gear you've got, so yeah, use yep. it. And you said there was a couple of instances too where he'd go off and dive in a certain area and then leave you girls in a certain area as well. Yep. And there were like it was like a seal colony. And his advice around sharks was interesting. Can you yes. tell us about that uh, as well? Yep, because so, they were in the area, weren't they? Yes, yep. So. When we would dive, it was always what happened on the dive trip, stayed on the dive trip. So we weren't to tell mum because she would worry about everything and anything. Um, And so she, you know, didn't really know that much about the faulty um, equipment. And then when we dived, mum always assumed that we would be diving together. But I was way too slow. And because I just enjoyed being under the water and looking around, dad was on a mission for crayfish. And so I remember, I think the first time we sort of went together... Um, I think yeah, I was going slow and my sister was with me and dad, you know, got really, because he can be quite short-tempered, got really frustrated and with his, like, fingers sort of signed, you, you, caught for yeah. <laughs> because he wasn't happy. So from that moment on, we knew that we had to dive on our own and then just come back when we were ready. Um, and then it was, I can't, so it was probably later high school, year nine and ten, we went to Baron Joey on a dive trip and Baron Joey's near Georgetown, okay. which is the big seal colony. Yep. And so mum assumed that we were on this big boat together, but once we arrived, um, um, dad went off in a, like a little ducky boat with his mates um, so they could go around the island and get bigger cray. So my sister and I were left on the big boat diving. And of course it was a seal colony so I said to dad, what about sharks? And he said, you know, when you and Becca are in the water, if all of the seals get out, just make sure you get out because that probably means shark. And I was young and naive and stupid and thought Dad was God. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, if you you think that's safe, then that's fine. Mm. So we did, and my sister and I laugh about it now because we know we dived with the seals and it was amazing. But there were many times when we couldn't see a seal in sight, but I don't think that registered in our head at the time. It was like, oh, yeah, we were just having a good time. And then it was extremely sad so I think a year or two after we did that that lady um, that lovely mum of I think four or five children was on the yeah the same dive boat and yeah at the same spot and got taken by the great white yeah which was yeah devastating and um and then after that yeah my mum yeah couldn't believe it and yeah we always sort of held that against dad you idiot why did you take us to a seal colony where you know that's where great white sharks will be but yeah yeah, he was a firm believer that yeah when your time's up your time's up and um, and he's always said to me you know don't worry about sharks now the shark that gets you is the one you'll never see so you won't have to worry about it you won't know you won't know i'm like okay that's really comforting thank you just tell me about the ocean. Like you said that your dad used to get frustrated because you were happy just in your own yeah. world, just just being under the water. What is it about the ocean for you and what do you love about being underwater? How does it affect you? Hmm. Um, it's sort of like a new world, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when you dive under and open your eyes, it's just sort of, you know, that, that scene, <laughs> that scene, I go back to the movie Splash, which you'll laugh, Brendan, that last <laughs> scene where Tom Hanks joins Daryl, Hannah, to become a mermaid yep. and they go to the palace under the water. So it's sort of like, 
you know, when you're under there, it's just like a whole, a brand new world. Mm. And for some reason, yeah, it's just, you know, it's definitely my happy place. I just feel calm and at peace. And when you're going through hard times and you get in, like you would know, just when you dive under, it just feels like it cleanses all of the stress and all yep. of the bad 100%. stuff um, away. And I truly believe that it is, yeah, healing, just yeah, being in nature and immersed in water. And we started off in water in the womb. And I just think, yeah, it's where we're meant to be. Coming back to your dad, so you said before, you, you only touched on it briefly, but your dad was a poacher. Yes. Um, and he almost got caught a few times, didn't he? But he was yes. pretty good at evading the authorities. Yeah. Are you are you allowed to tell us a few of the stories yes. about Yeah. Because they were unreal <laughs> yeah. when you were telling me before. Uh, yes. Yeah, so he would, so he had like a little black book um, that he had his people that he would, um, you know, poach for. And then I know, like, uh, when I got older, I spoke to dad about it many times. And he would go to various locations to drop off the craze. So it was all, you know, really undercover stuff um and i think he became quite well known so the fisheries like one of the guys um head up you know head honchos from the fisheries actually attended dad's funeral and had a laugh with me and said we tried to get him that for years but we never could and so there was like, respect there yeah still. there was still so because you couldn't help but like him dad was sort of a no bullshit type of guy like a hard man but loved life loved his mates and he didn't care what you like I could learn so much from and I wish I was more like this he genuinely didn't care what other people thought of him yep. so if you didn't like him tough luck do you know what I mean and if he thought you were being a dickhead he'd tell you so he just wouldn't hold back but people really loved him because he was genuine like he was totally genuine yep. so with the poaching at Anson's Bay he would do it in various locations but when we were at Anson's Bay they'd go and net places where they weren't meant to net which again is against everything I believe in and when he was out on the water somehow the fisheries always would be notified so there are many stories of you know them chasing you know dad when he was out on the water um, and then there's one time so you know Anson's Bay so in order to get out to the um, ocean you've got to go through the barway and mm. there's lots of sandbars and so this one time they'd got some cray obviously too many and the fisheries were thought they would be a bit sneaky and meet dad back at the jetty so our jetty which was just um, at the bottom of our shack so they've gone back through the barway to get to the jetty um got stuck on a sandbar the poor things and so then dad was racing through because he'd been notified somehow and then two of dad's crew didn't know anything about dad doing you know the illegal stuff and they're like <laughs> saying chicken because his name was chicken man because he owned a poultry farm Yep. Mate, you know, those guys are stuck. We need to stop and help them. And Dad's like, you know, if that, we're gone. And so they get yeah, shot past and they just kept saying, why aren't we helping? And then, yeah, they got back to the jetty and Dad explained, no, they're after me. So then they, yeah, went and hid the cray and, um, yeah. And then at the chicken farm um, that Dad uh, owned, there are many times, so when he would go down to, where was it, Cape Naturalist, he had different compartments in his car that he'd hide them because he would often get pulled over, him and his mate, um, John Roddick, his best mate. Um, and then many times they would turn up at the poultry farm. And so my dad's mum, Nan, who was absolutely beautiful, she'd distract why dad and his workers would get all of the cray and mm. hide them in all the chicken pens up the back. And, and, um, it was a team yeah, effort. it was a team, a team effort. And somehow, um, and I remember one time there were two had two huge freezers like that you can walk in that we keep all the chickens in and dad told me this one time that there was so they'd hidden them but there was one freezer that still had heaps and they just didn't have time to hide the rest and so that luck as luck would have it the fisheries walked into this other freezer and they only checked the one so dad said if they had to check the other freezer i was gone yeah but um yeah he managed to um yeah not be caught which was great he did well he was the ned kelly of the poaching world (laughs) absolutely yeah absolutely (laughs) um and and so talk about dad so dad fell ill later on didn't he so how how was that on you because obviously you were Mm. so close to your dad 
so he was just really tired and mum kept saying you know you're really tired this isn't like you and then sort of left it for quite some time and then in 2000 and I think it was about 2000 2001 went to the doctor eventually and um, they did some scans and yeah there was cancer all through his kidney Um, and it had gone out it had come out and had gone somewhere else so it was I think it was in September of that year um 2001 and so they operated which was great and they said they got it all and they were happy that it was all good no treatment required which was great so we all celebrated and yep you beauty yep again dodged a bullet there and then it was in December of that year he had to go back for his three-month scan and checkup and when he had the scan and checkup yeah it had yeah obviously had gotten out or whatnot and it was yeah in his back and his brain and everywhere lungs it was yeah so then they said yeah if, if you choose treatment you might have you know uh, maybe a year at the most and then without treatment you've probably got you know weeks to a month so that was sort of a bit of a, a shock dad then got the treatment got the radiation and again just a hard man and I know everyone's different and that's completely fine but worked like didn't have a day off like worked would go and have treatment would go to work um would go and sleep in the storeroom if need be if he was really struggling yep. yeah from that moment he lasted yeah three years and three months which was yeah awesome yep. and in that time we spent yeah we did quite a few holidays so yeah he hadn't been to Broome or WA so we went and did that and yeah did some lovely things as a family that was yeah pretty special yeah and so your dad being your dad did he sort of discuss with you guys what course of treatment he was going to take or did he just decide no we talked yeah that's a good question no we talked about that as a family i think that that was what the doctor suggested like so not the chemo just the radiation so he talked yeah he talked to us about that and we said you know we support whatever you want to do um let's just try and um fight it and he was a real yeah a real fighter um they'd said don't dive you know because of it was on his brain and whatnot so they said you know your diving days you know are over how was that for him if it had been such a big part of his life he said you know f him he's diving so he continued to dive because he said if i dive and i die well then i'm going to die anyway and i die doing something that i love so bugger it let's do it so we went on many yeah diving trips and he went and dived on wrecks and places that he'd never dived before and yeah, yeah he had a great time When it comes to home renovations, there's nothing more important than getting the kitchen right. So you've got two options. Have a crack at it yourself and then get someone else in to fix it or get the team at Infinite Joinery and Designs in from the start to avoid a lot of stress and dirty looks from the better half. If you're thinking of renovating your kitchen, give Sam and the team at Infinite a call straight away. Specialising in kitchen renovations, they can also take care of new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, laundries, wardrobes. They have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Find them on Facebook and Instagram or phone Sam on 0429 291 008 or by email which is sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me thinking you'll save a few bucks and have a crack at it yourself. Call these guys in so you can sit back and watch the experts go to work. And do you remember sort of obviously being younger yourself, do you remember how you worked through it? Like firstly when you found out, obviously we all think that our parents are indestructible yes, and yep. they're our heroes and, mm. you know, none more so than than your dad from what you say. Like do you remember when you found out and, and how you worked through that time? Did you have to do anything to help you process it or, or cope with um, it? I remember, like obviously remember being, you know, devastated and upset, but remember making a decision to try and be the strong one for my sister and my mum yep. because I knew... Um, my mum being my mum and she's coped amazingly well but that was dad's biggest concern was mum because mum like I said opposite and didn't 
actually had some friends but and she was a home stay-at-home mum so mum's whole world has always been dad and us kids and so she doesn't have other interests you know that's just her whole world so that was how concerned was okay how's mum going to cope with this and that when he eventually because we knew he was going to die how's he yeah how's she going to be um so again probably coping my mum's sister and I and my dad we were all really tight and still are so that was you know having each other to talk to and debrief and whatnot was super super important my husband Matt um, again, you know, super lucky to have someone that's, you know, there for you and you can talk to about, you know, anything and everything. Um, humor was a big part. So dad, and it, because dad was positive and would take the mickey out of everything, um, in order to be strong for the others, I sort of adopted that with dad and, and I still today, like humor is a huge part. You know, I think it's so important that we yeah. get, can take the mickey out of ourselves and other people in yep. a kind way, of course, but dad did that extremely well. And I think, because of how positive he was and with his sense of humour, I think that just helped um, lessen the blow. Um, and, of course, you know, during that time as well, the ocean was a big, you know, as much as, you know, we're obviously living at Turner's Beach. We've lived there since, I think, yeah, since 99, that we, I'd just be in the ocean as much as I uh, possibly could. I'd go to Lonnie Lots, obviously, and, you know, stay with mum and dad. But then it was always, you know, when I'm driving back, just get that tetchy feeling like I need to either see the ocean or smell it or be in it and yeah then I would go back and get in and gets feel, a hold of you yeah, doesn't it? it definitely does and if you haven't yeah seen it like if I go to Launceston now after a couple of days I'm just itching to get back and drive up Lillico straight and see the ocean and go ah yeah, I'm yep. okay now. Yeah. Yep. So you say that you took on the role as as the strong one. So did you still have someone to vent to? Did you did you talk? And and the next part of that question was, if you had your time over again, would you do anything differently? That's a great question. Um, I would vent to Matt. So Matt, you know, was my person that could yeah, you know, cry to and you know, yeah, let it all out to him and my sister as well. Like we're super tight, and so yeah, she was definitely. But I suppose in front of Mum, I was yeah very. Um, conscious of being strong and always positive and it's going to be okay and no I don't know if I'm don't know if I would do anything um hmm, I don't know if I would maybe a little bit maybe more with dad maybe really tell him how I'm feeling but yeah if I had my time over again because again even with dad I just sort of put on that strong you know this is okay we'll be fine we'll get through it you know shit happens um you know when you do pass on you know it'll be fine and yeah but yeah, so maybe be a little bit more vulnerable if I had my time again. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that you say about me having that time with your dad before he passed away and stuff. Like I suppose when people do pass away, like there's there's two ways that it generally yeah. happens. It either happens quick through an yeah. unfortunate accident or something yeah. like that or or having that time. And the, the reason that I sort of reflect on that a little bit is we lost my father earlier this year and he had I'm dementia. So, so sorry to hear that. But in saying that, we had that time. We knew yeah. that it was it was going to happen. And I remember I when he could still read and stuff like that, I yeah. wrote him a letter basically oh, telling him. And it's funny that you say about, yeah. you know, talking to your dad. I wrote him a letter to tell him yeah. basically everything that I wanted to tell him. Um, because I knew I couldn't tell him to his face because yeah. we just didn't sort of have that, that relationship and stuff. But yeah. I'm I'm very thankful that even though we knew that it was going to happen eventually, yes. but you still had that time to, to yeah. say goodbye and stuff. And, and in a way... I found it was easier to, to process when it did happen mm-hmm. because you'd probably been sub, subconsciously preparing it for a while. Did you find that as well when your dad finally did pass? Yeah, I think that's yeah, spot on. I feel very, yeah, very grateful that we had that time because um, we you know, managed to do lots of special things and lots of laughs and giggles. Um, and then when dad got... And it's amazing how it works. So he was on a Friday night and his best mate who lived in Melbourne came over. And so dad managed to, and he had to have a, um, he had to have this port in him 
uh, for the morphine, etc. And he hated it. And we're like, you know, suck it up, harden up, like you tell us. Um, you know, you have to do it. And then he sort of he basically held off. So his friend came on the Friday night. Friday night, we all sat around, reminisced. It was you know, magical. And then when Dad went to bed on that Friday night, he never got up again. He passed away on the Monday, but he was, yeah, bedridden and out. Um, and it was over that weekend that we all sort of, you know, were sat with him and went in and, you know, talked to him and told him everything that, you know, how we felt. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, he was still, yeah, he could still hear us and was conscious, not saying much. Um, so we yeah, did get to say those goodbyes, which was lovely. Yep. But again, probably, you know, if I had my time again, do that before that end end point. You, you just, as you would know, even though it got really close, you still sort of don't believe that it's going to happen. Like There's a I bit remember, of denial yeah, there, isn't there? going to the doctor saying, you know, Nat, he's probably only got days or weeks, and I'm like, oh rubbish, you know, he's up having coffee, he's fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, when it happened, it happened extremely fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know the last conversation that I ever had with my dad and he was at the state where we're not 100% sure whether he could hear us or not yeah. but I'm going to say that he could yes. obviously yeah. um, that was one of the hardest yet one of the most beautiful things that I've, mm -hmm. I feel that I've ever done are you able to share what you spoke to your dad about just basically thanking him for because I can't remember you know, it was a long time ago and it's all like you know tied up in a bit of a whirlwind of emotion but um yeah I remember my sister and I think we really did it together and you know just again telling him how we felt thanking him for everything that he'd done and you know what impact he had on us and yeah just, isn't it funny that, that you come to that point because that was that was exactly the tone of my conversation yeah. with him it was a thank you it was yeah. you know thanks for everything that you taught yeah. me and I'll be fine and, and all that sort of thing and you know I suppose you just hope that when your time comes that your kids are Absolutely. thankful for because yep. that's our role isn't it to nurture yep. them and teach them and then let them go off into the big yep. wide world so definitely yeah and I remember saying about mum just you know that we'll look after mum because that was his biggest yeah biggest concern yep. that how would she cope and um, yeah, so we just made yeah, him know that yeah, we had mum and we'll be up and you know we were there twenty four seven for whatever she needed. Yep. And so I think that would have yeah definitely helped. Absolutely. So that that's a bit of the deep stuff. We'll get yeah, on to a bit of the easier sure stuff thing. for you to no talk worries. about. You spoke there before about um, you and Matt, your husband, yeah. um, going away on, on teaching. So we haven't touched on teaching. Where did that come into your life? A passion for teaching and a want to go in to to study to yeah. become a teacher. Can you pinpoint that? Well, it's sort of. When I was in primary school, that's yeah, I was one of the lucky ones in terms that I knew what I wanted to do from a very young age. So it was just something. I'd always loved kids, um, loved hanging out with kids. I just loved the humour and how much they made me laugh. Yep. And um, and I know it sounds you know a bit corny or whatnot, but I was always and still am like I just genuinely thought you know I'd love to be that person that could make a difference. And even if I do it just with one child, well then it's a win. Yeah. And then yeah, there was no other. No other avenues. It was just, yep, I knew what I wanted. So, yep. yep, college and then, yep, go to uni, be a teacher, and that's probably all I'll ever do because I love it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm yeah really fortunate, really and you, fortunate. And you're very good at it. I know you won't say that, but no. I'm allowed to. So, <laughs> um, And you met uh, met your husband while you were studying to yes. be a teacher, is that correct? Yep. So, yep. Um, at uni. So, we met in the first year and then got together, yeah, in our second year yep. um, at uni. Um, and again... What attracted me to, and you've asked me this, but again, talking about the humour, what attracted me to Matt was the humour. So he was, yeah, he's a very funny man. And um, I remember at uni, just, you know, we'd be in lecture theatres full of like a couple of hundred people and he was always that 
stupid person that would put his hand up and say inappropriate funny things and I just remember sitting there thinking you are so funny and um and then yeah sort of went from there yep awesome and do you find um being both being teachers that it sort of helps you can sort of support each other and debrief if you have a bad day and things like that is absolutely and because they get it they actually understand um and that's yeah not being disrespectful at all but obviously if you're not doing it you know you don't have as much of an understanding so yeah. Yeah, it is really helpful yeah. um, to debrief and for ideas and whatnot and um, yeah when you're doing your planning it's just nice to yeah, have someone else to bounce off absolutely so it's great and you talk about getting it um, so a couple of your previous students I've got quite close access to so I've managed to <laughs> oh god help me. I've managed to uh, I've managed to be able to dr- yeah. drill them mm-hmm. and find out a little bit about mm-hmm. you and that was yeah. one of the things that they said they said some teachers that they've had get it and some don't now apparently mm-hmm. you get it so that's okay. that's probably one of the biggest compliments right. that yeah yeah that you can get but just just from my own um observations of you i would imagine it's because it's funny that you said before that you wish that you were more like your dad because he was completely genuine didn't care what people think that's how you come across and i'm sure i'm not the only person that would Mm -hmm. say that about you and i think that is why um a lot of the kids do warm to you because they know that there's no um what they get from you is from the heart and what they get from you is you know your your um honest intentions and and things like that um i know even just um you know just myself just interacting with you at the school and things like that some people have this i don't know whether you believe in auras or not but Mm -hmm. we're gonna get real spooky now but you have this aura that will draw people to you i imagine well in my experience anyway you know when when you're at school i always want to say hello to you and I would assume that the kids are the same. They must be sort of drawn to you for that reason because I know that you're a safe person and you're a, um, um, a genuine, authentic person. Now, it's funny that you don't feel that way, but you just naturally come across that way. Is there anything in particular that you try to put out there into the world that has that effect on people? Does that make sense? Or is that yes, no, no, a weirdly does. worded no, question? No, that does, <laughs> and that's very beautiful, everything you just said. That's very, very kind. And... Yes, I would hope that I do. I am genuine. I genuinely love the kids. The thing with my dad is he didn't care what other people thought, whereas that's something like I would be upset or worried if I upset somebody. Do you know what I mean? So if it was a colleague or or a parent or whatnot, if I said something or even like the kids, you know, if you have a bad day and you say something and you think, oh, that was a bit of a rude tone, I'll go home and stew about those things and worry. Um, But, yeah, I would hope that would be my hope that I – and at Mind Debtor and at Acton, where I was before Mind Debtor, that, yeah, that the kids know that I am genuine and I genuinely do love them. And if I say that to them, like, you know, I love you guys, a few of the kids are like, oh, that's just weird. You know, that's just you know, inappropriate, Mrs. Potter. And I'm like, no, it's not. I do. Yeah. I love you guys. And I try and treat all of the kids like my own. So I always, since having children, you know, I when I'm interacting with children, I, you know, picture that they are somebody's Ruby, Gabes and Will. So how do I want somebody to treat my children and speak to my children? So that's always, yeah, a really big part. And in my mind that I treat yeah, other people's children like I would like others to treat my children. Yep. So awesome. I think that's really important. And and that's one thing that, that my eldest Briley said, because I asked, I asked all my kids, I said, tell me something about Mrs. Potter. Mm-hmm. So Briley <laughs> said that she's very, that, sorry, she's you, a very nurturing. Um, yeah, she, she was the one that said, you know, she just gets it. Like she's very um, nurturing, very motherly. She said that as well. When I spoke to my middle boy, Jake, he just said that um, you make class fun and you make it mm-hmm. somewhere where kids want to go to. And my youngest, Sonny, who you've had a bit to do with now because he's still at the school, 
he's a bit of a closed book. He doesn't really say a hell of a lot. You'll laugh, but we know whether he likes his teacher or not because if he likes them, he'll when he speaks to us about them, they'll have a name. Whereas okay. when he doesn't like them, they're just the teacher. Yep. He said to me a couple of times when I picked him up, we had Mrs. Potter today, and Sonny would not remember a lot of stuff that happens in class, but he remembers your well-being program, and I know that that's right. a that's a big passion of yours. Yes. And I said, um, "Tell me about it," and he just sort of went, "Oh, I don't know." Yeah. But the fact that he even brought it up, yeah. obviously, he enjoys that. Can you tell us about that well-being program? And that's a big passion. You'd really like to see that rolled out in all yes. schools, wouldn't you? Yes. Absolutely. What do you What do you do with them? Um, well, that's a very good question. So it's the <laughs> end of third year running, um, and it's based sort of on our acronym of GROMITS. So gratitude, resilience, outdoors, mindfulness, or my turn, um, what was the other? Uh, um, e, empathy, and tribe. So that's sort of what we base. And again, it's you know based on a lot of you know amazing researchers and and whatnot because we can't you know with the curriculum just pluck things out and yeah, do it. You have to have it you know research based yep. and make sure it's best practice. Yep. So we're in the third year running, and I have the grades three to six, and I have forty five minute lessons per week. Um, our beautiful principal, who's very supportive of the wellbeing program, and again for anybody like we know at the moment that our mental health, you know, children's adults is you know not in a great space, mm. and um, there's you know it's it's quite worrying. Uh, I don't need to bore you with st- the statistics, but again, I just thought you know in in my view, I think that's just the most you know important thing that we can be teaching kids in how to build better humans and how to look after themselves. And I used to always say with my own children, you know, I just want them to be happy, I want them to be happy. But now it's more than happy. You know, I want them to be, you know, compassionate, kind, happy, but resilient people. So when, you know, they go through hard times that they've got the strategies and the skills set in order to be able to, you know, bounce back and, you know, keep moving forward yep. and live their best life. So I suppose with the wellbeing program, that's my aim. And I tell the kids, and I don't know if I probably should, but you know, this is more important than your English guys and then your maths and your yep. writing and your whatever, because this is the stuff that's going to set you up. That sets you, sets you up for life. Absolutely. Um, so we have... Yeah, so the 45 minutes a week, the things that we do out of school, you can't replicate that in a classroom or in the school environment. Uh, the lessons, again, uh, variation on, you know, there'll be lessons on gratitude, um, you know, mindfulness, um, empathy, your kindness, your oxytocin. So, again, getting kids to understand, and I'm sure if you ask Sonny, I hope he would be able to tell you. So, again, it's teaching them the reason and the understanding behind it that, okay, so when you're kind to somebody uh, and you do something kind, oxytocin goes off in your brain. Yep. And then when it goes off in your brain, the person that you did that kind thing for, oxytocin goes off in their brain. And because they feel good, then they're more likely to do it to somebody else. And it has that you know um, roll on effect and so again it's teaching kids those things specifically and then hopefully hopefully obviously they'll take them um, on board and again we try and do that you know in a really fun um, you know a fun way I have my little spray bottle of water that I've got oils in and so we have that as the pretend oxytocin so I'll spray all the kids and just you know make it you know enjoyable and fun Um, resilience is a big one as well Um, so we talk about um, and the brain um, so our prefrontal cortex and our amygdala and it's really exciting when you know that kids are actually getting it and that you talk to parents and they've used it you know outside of school so 
oh, there's so many things to talk about. So we've talked about, you know, your amygdala going off. And so teaching kids to be emotionally, you know, more emotionally literate, yep. um, understanding, you know, that there are a range of emotions and understanding that, you know, all emotions are okay. There's not positive and negative. Um, so I'm skipping all over the shop, but I don't know if Sonny's mentioned to you the my turn. Has he mentioned the word my turn no. to you or Jake or? No. I don't know if it was there when Briley um, was there, but at my debtor, we've adopted the language of my turn. So this amazing um, educator, Jane Foster, and it's my turn st- st- um, stands for the T. It's T E R N. So take emotional responsibility now. Right. So it's all about teaching kids to be responsible for their emotions, yep. and it's based on the metaphor of driving a car. So you've got your red road, green road, and your red and green road emotions. And kids, even we started in kinder, they just know that the red road emotion is anger, sadness, frustration. Green, happy, wow. laughter, you know, calm, yep. etc. That's awesome. And um, so there's no good or bad in the my turn city. It's just red or green or rough or smooth because we don't want to have that negative connotation because it's okay to feel angry. Mm. Um, And the big part of the my turn is that we teach kids that um, you change your language. Obviously, we know the power of changing your language. So rather than, you know, he, you know, kids coming in from recess and lunch all upset, he made me angry, he made me sad, that they know they're not allowed to say that anymore because no one makes you because if you say somebody made you sad, you're giving them your steering wheel. And the metaphor is obviously you're driving your own car. You'd never give anyone your steering wheel you're in control of your own car so if you say he made me you're giving him your steering wheel you wouldn't do that so the kids know to say i'm choosing to feel um, angry or i'm choosing to feel sad so they're the power you have the power and it's your choice um and then with that we teach the children and again this is all part of the well-being program so it's called your pets and tips so your tip stands for your trigger for extra precaution so the triggers are the things that may influence you to drive down a red road so if you're playing a game of basketball and there's a bit of negative banter say up there with the grade five six boys and you're listening to that banter that might be a tip for you a bit of a trigger and then your pet stands for your personal emotional tools so we teach the children okay when you're confronted with a tip okay it's your choice which road to drive down yep. but it's up to you to put a an emotional tool a pet in place in order to feel better and as teachers and, and as parents and, and you would understand that often when our kids are upset or distressed you just want to go in and fix do you know what I mean so if you know I know Gabe when I sort of got into this a few years ago he came home came home from school upset about something and my go-to would normally be okay you know tell me all about it right what can I do to help you feel better but it's skilling the kids up with okay Gabe what are you going to do mate to help yourself feel better so it's getting children to take yeah, that responsibility themselves yep. and listening to how that, that you know how they're feeling so I'm feeling angry it's just a feeling it'll pass so teaching them as well that you're not angry you're not sad you're not that emotion you're just feeling it and it will pass and yeah, being able to teach kids that and have them understand it, I just think that's so amazing and so mm. important because as an adult, it's really interesting how many times you will say, so once we sort of took that on board in our house, how many times you say somebody's making you, so if Matt and I had an argument, it'd be like, God, you make me so angry sometimes, whereas now the kids will pick me up, no, mum, you know, you're choosing to feel annoyed. Yep. It's like, yep, okay, it's my choice how I feel there. Yep. Um, and then it's my choice to, you know, use a pet and do something about that. So what am I going to do to make myself feel better? Yep. Um, and I think that's really important for kids to know that, you know, the world can't just tiptoe around their tips their little triggers it's up to you to okay when i feel this way recognize how you feel and then what are you going um to do about it and so we've talked a lot about the brain so your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex and the kids understand that you know 
your amygdala that you know keeps you safe and you know protects you um that in order when that's we talk about resilience so we talk about okay if you're working on your resilience you firstly need to understand what's happening in your brain and so when that goes off so we said you know we talk about the cave people times as well and we go you know back to there that you know amygdala was on overdrive because they had to stay safe and everything was a threat but we said you know now we don't live in that society but our brain is still, you know, wired the same way. Mm. So, again, it's teaching kids that, you know, if you're a child that goes home and you're lying in bed and your brain's going over and over and you're stressing, don't think there's anything wrong with you. It's completely normal. That's what your brain's wired to do. Mm. But here are some strategies to help you, um, you know, with that. And so the kids can, um, hopefully, they will, you know, be able to recognize that, okay, my amygdala's going off. When that happens, I get these warning signs in my body. Okay, and in order to be resilient, I need to get my thinking brain back i need to calm the amygdala and get my thinking brain back so part of my program and my lessons that we just did last term was on teaching okay so what are the strategies to calm the amygdala when it goes off so we talk about breathing but you know breathing is the quickest and most effective way to tell your brain that you know you're okay Uh, we talk about um um, squishing your ants so your automatic negative thoughts so when you're confronted you know with something scary and your amygdala goes off um it's going danger danger you're often going to have those thoughts that oh geez i can't do it it's too hard yep. um and that we teach the kids that you've got 20 seconds to squish those negative thoughts because if not they're like ants and you'll get flooded with them so then it will be like oh my god you know if i can't do this everyone will think i'm stupid i'm so dumb and it, you'll just be you know flooded yeah. with negativity yep. and so then i teach them okay so you know you recognize those thoughts so how how do you squish them? You use a mantra. So you say to yourself, um, you know, I've got this, I can do it. And yep. that's the message that you say over and over. And eventually you strengthen that pathway in your brain. And the more you say it, the stronger it becomes. And then that's how, you know, you can work on your resilience. Yep. And when I said about um, taking the kids out, we get to go out on three adventures each year. So we go to PCYC in Burnie. Um, Jeff Taylor runs an amazing program there at the gym. So he sets up a huge, big obstacle course. You divide your class into two teams, and as a team, they have to work through these obstacles, and it's awesome. phenomenal. Yep. We also go to Peyton Park and do like a day boot camp. So there's an outdoor <coughs> obstacle course. Um, and again, we put them into teams, make them carry tyres. There's mud, there's water. You know, there's some high things, some low things, crawling through cement tunnels with spiders. It's all very scary. <laughs> and um, and then at the end of the year, we do an overnight, uh, we do a bushwalk and an overnight camp to Camp Clayton. Yep. And again, all of the things that we learn in the well-being, again, it's just so amazing to, for the kids to be able to practice that in the real world. So when we go to Peyton Park and there's a cement tunnel and I'm petrified of spiders and there's other kids that are petrified, okay. You know, you feel, so when they start to, you know, cry or feel really stressed, it's so awesome to be able to say, okay, guys, you've learnt this, so what's happening? Oh, my amygdala's going off, yep. So how are we going to calm it? So our thinking brain doesn't, you know, flip. So we talk about flipping the lid. Because if your thinking brain goes... We talk about, you know, when your amygdala goes off and you've ever swore at somebody or yelled or did something and then later on you regret it, that's because your thinking brain's back. So, okay, we don't want that to happen, so what are we going to do? We're going to breathe, we're going to squish those ants, and then um, we're going to use our mantra, I've got this. So, again, allowing the kids to actually put it all into practice. And then, so some kids, there's like uh, Jeff's a high tire wall and the ones that are, you know, really frightened of heights. So, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for you to practice what you've been, yeah, what you've been learning at school. And to hear the kids... Um, you know, be telling each other. I remember last year on Peyton Park, one little boy vividly, he was struggling to get up the tire wall and these other, like, two little boys were yelling out because this little boy was, you know, he was in tears saying, I can't, and the two little boys were yelling out, that's an ant, squish it, you know, use a mantra. And yep. to hear that language, you just go, yes, you know, it's a win, it's all worth it. Awesome. Um, and I know 
a couple one of my dear friends um, her son has been into hospital a couple of times and again came back to school and she said you know Nat he was using you know strat your strategies he could recognize how he was feeling so he was implementing his breathing and his mantra and you just think well it must that's, be rewarding. It's a, it's a, that's a win. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. It's the best. It's the best feeling. Awesome. So it's um yeah, and again, just all about building better humans. Unreal. Um, and can I just say about um, right. Camp Clayton because this is a really yeah, a beautiful part. So again, tradition, when we go on our overnight to Camp Clayton on the morning that we wake up at Camp Clayton, um, so this will be our third year in a row. I wake them at five a.m. So I play a song. So it's the Surfing USA, and again I play the same song. So the kids that are in year three. It's the same song. And again, I say to the kids, it's the same song because for the rest of your life, when you hear that song, I want you to be able to go, oh gosh, Cam Clayton, three dunks under. So what we do is we wake the children at 5 a.m., straight down to the ocean, straight down to the beach. Uh, we watch the sunrise and it's three wow. dunks under. And again, it's a compulsory. Um, and again, just the growth in the two years and for them to be able to put it into practice that, okay, the first year we did it, the grade sixes, it was in November and we had a real cold snap. It was the weekend where we had like, you know 12 11 degrees and it was freezing but again and you know their feet's in and they're like oh my god i can't i can't again just that amazing opportunity to, again to say okay there's an ant squish it use your breathing use your mantra and they just feel so proud of themselves afterwards and yeah so it's a really i think it's yeah super important absolutely and um yeah i passionate yeah feel very passionately about what i do well, for people listening, if they listen to nothing out of this podcast or they just listen to the last 10 minutes, I'll learn that much out of that. That was unreal. I hope it made sense. Yeah. It's, it's funny, though. Like, when I get my kids' reports, you were saying there before yes. about how you say to the to the um you say to the kids but you you think that you you probably shouldn't you know the maths and the english part of it yeah. like that's not a worry i don't even look at that i go yeah. straight to the bottom Comment. like what's he like in class <laughs> yes that's all yep. i want to worry about yep. like the, sorry I, I i do look at his, his yes. results but i'm more focused on is he a kind person yes. is he a good influence in class you know mm. does he help others and and things like that because like you say it's funny that hopefully it's slowly starting to turn but the things that you're teaching kids like your resilience and your well-being and helping others and and like you were saying with the with the chemical that goes off in your brain when you when you help someone that paying it forward type yep. aspect yes. which we're going to talk about later on with your with your albert street gang but um you know goal setting things like that um it's not focused that heavily on but no, no. you can know all the x's and o's but then when you go out into the big bad world yep. All the other stuff is probably going to be more important. Say the same to my children. Wholeheartedly, when I get their report, it's just straight to the yep. comment. I just want to know, yeah, what kind of yeah person you are. Are you yeah. kind to others? Do you include others? Um, yeah, do you use your manners? Um, yep. That's the important stuff. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy, and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. Um, just a change of pace just quickly. Just with, 
we talked about being genuine. What do you think stops people from being truly genuine and authentic in this day and age? Have you got a theory on that? Because a lot of people, I think, are scared to to be themselves. Like, a, and I don't know. My theory is that the world that we live in at the moment, because it's such a social media comparison, um, judgmental, I suppose. Yes. You know, you can look at people and and judge them. I yep. said to my daughter the other day, the difference these days is. I can look at a picture of Nat Potter on Facebook, for instance, and I can analyse it for 10 minutes now, whereas 20 years ago, this was the only time that I could... Now, I'm not analysing you because I'm talking to you, so I never that never even entered my mind, whereas now you can have... You can flick through, oh, OK, well, this person does this and this is their family. You can actually judge and analyse people so thoroughly now, which I don't think is healthy. No. But I think because it's probably natural now, we probably all do it a little bit because of the world that we live in, that we also think, well, hang on, people are doing that to me. So yeah. I'm probably answering my own question. But do you do you have a theory on why people sort of struggle to be genuine and authentic? Because the other side of it is that people, I think, are drawn to people these days who are genuine yeah. and authentic. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think what you said was um, absolutely spot on. Yeah, maybe people are a little bit worried about you know what other people will think. I think. Um, I'm, do you agree with age? Like, I'm sort of you know getting older now, and I'm sort of yeah, which is a good thing. Less worried about you know I'm. I worry if I upset somebody, but in terms of what people think of me, I am definitely you know I feel you know happy to be at this stage of my life where I really don't care about that stuff yep. anymore. That this is who I am. So. You know, as long as I haven't, you know, said something or been unkind, which I wouldn't, then, you know, it's okay if you don't like me or if you, you know, have a different opinion, yeah. but I'm happy with who I am. And I think it's sort of a lot comes to, yeah, it comes down to age, doesn't yeah. it? That the older you get, it's like, okay, this is, you know, and you realise what's the important stuff, you know, what's mm. life all about. Talk to me about your journey into becoming a mother, because that wasn't sort of straightforward, was it? There was no. a few hurdles that you had to, yep. to overcome there. So we, yes, yeah, so we uh, tried maybe for about five years or so and just it wasn't having um, any luck. I have endometriosis and so I knew that that could be, um, I've had that since I was, um, you know, in teenage years. So I knew that that could be a factor in, um, you know, hindering that process. So we kept trying, no luck. And so then we went down the IVF um, path. Um, and again, I know a lot of people, I was, you know, really lucky but and it's something I feel really passionate about too is just the whole gratitude that a lot of people find that you know extreme and it is stressful I'm not saying that it's not stressful so you know you'd go and have all of your injections and you know all of your procedures and then you know they'd put an embryo back and you'd get your period and it wouldn't work and yeah that was yeah that was hard and there were you know quite a few tears um but we kept on it kept on persevering and like what I was saying about gratitude throughout that I always just felt really blessed though that we had the opportunity to do IVF so that's what I just kept coming back to that there are people out you know in the world that wouldn't be able to afford this or yeah. if you live in other countries you wouldn't have um, access to this so how lucky are we that we get to go and see somebody that can help us you know fall pregnant and yeah. just kept thinking you know positive positive it's going to happen eventually yeah um and it did so will um I think he was maybe the third um the third attempt which was great um and then uh, for the twins so and again pregnancy all went you know smooth and wonderful so I was very blessed then the twins I think maybe they were the third attempt as well and um, I started to sort of worry a little bit thinking geez imagine if because all I'd ever wanted to do was be a mum um so that was yeah from you know day dot yep. um so that was yeah so Matt and I'd talked you know prior to IVF about okay maybe we'll have to adopt and whether we adopt in Tassie or overseas adoption or whatnot so we're looking at other options then we fell with Will and it was like the best news ever 
And then with the twins, I'd sort of, Bill Watkins was the IVF doctor, and I'd said to him, how about you, because my sister went through IVF as well, um, how about you put two embryos back just to up the chances, because I'm worried it's not going to work. And he's like, no, Nat, it just ups, if you have twins, it ups the risks of everything. So we'll just put one embryo, unless you're over a certain age or whatnot. So again, he's the expert. So I said, yep, no worries. So anyway, we did that, and then when we had the scan for um, the um, second pregnancy, um, yeah, the doctor straight away yeah, had this big smile, and he said, how many did Bill put back? I'm like, one. He said, are you positive? I'm like, yep, 100%. And he said, we have two. And I'm like, oh, wow. And because it wasn't, <laughs> um, they weren't identical, it wasn't split, it had to be that it happened naturally, and then one, yeah, one is IVF, which yep. is, yeah, not that common. So that was a pretty yeah, special time. So one of the twins is uh, IVF, and one of them, is uh, natural. So. so obviously I know nothing about mm-hmm. this, so I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you some really stupid mm-hmm. questions and stuff. So the universe has to align mm-hmm. for that sort of thing mm-hmm. to happen, yep. I would imagine, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because yes. you can only be cooking one egg, at, like mm-hmm. one or two eggs at the mm-hmm. exact same yep. time. Like you can't be halfway through cooking one and then another yes. one comes no, along. I can know. You? Like, and I just am a true believer that, you know, timing, you've just got to trust the universe's timing. Yep. Um, and everything happens for a reason and it will, yeah, everything is as it's meant to be. Um, so again, it was quite amazing. So I, I remember the day, I don't remember the dates, but I remember we went to Hobart on the Tuesday for the procedure. And so it must have happened on the weekend. And the funny part was that when we were with Dr. Foot and he'd said, you know, there's two, and Matt was like just silent. I'm um, like, could you say something? Because I was just over the moon thinking, wow, twins, how exciting. Um, Matt was just adamant that nothing had happened that weekend. And I'm like, we must have. And he's like adamant that no. And I'm like, well, I know. <laughs> Might have to ask a few <laughs> more questions here. Um, but yes, I have not been with any, yes, obviously any other person, but that was like a real joke for quite some time because <laughs> Matt was sure that nothing had happened. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, it can't just miraculously happen, Matt. Um, so yeah, so the weekend, so you're right. And the whole way through the pregnancy, both, yeah, both twins were, you know, the same growth, you know, the same development. So the timing was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, which was, yeah. And again, I was just very blessed with, yeah, the twins. That Yeah, that was all very, um, yeah, uh, safe pregnancy. So there weren't any complications. So yep. we were very, yeah, very lucky and blessed. Yeah. So, sorry, you probably said it, but how long were you trying for before? Sorry, not, not trying with the IVF. How long yep. did it take before you actually were able to, um, to fall pregnant? Um, so I can't quite remember, but... I think it was the third cycle. So you sort of have a cycle and then that was like your fresh one. And then if you're lucky enough to freeze, if there's some um, embryos that um, that are okay to freeze. So we got to freeze maybe three or four. But then what can happen is that when you then, so you've got to have, you know, all of, get all of your system okay and have my injections and make sure that, you know, my, um, what's the word? my cycle is at the right time. So then when you go to go to Hobart, and this happened to us once or twice, they can then be thawing out an embryo. But then as you drive to Hobart, they'll ring and say, I'm thawing out. It hasn't, you know, it's not it's not viable anymore. Right. So it has to yeah, be gone. So we'll have to start again. Yeah. And that yeah, can happen. And that can be quite obviously, yeah, heartbreaking at the time because yeah. you're all so excited. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we was about the third attempt and it was the frozen, yeah frozen cycle and we have a giggle Matt and I because our thought is that Gabe was the same frozen cycle that's our guess because Gabe and Will when they were younger or two three they look absolutely identical and so our guess is that Gabe is the same frozen cycle as Will and that Ruby is our natural but we'll never know yeah Yeah, we'll never know yeah that's unreal isn't it yeah so it's pretty special yeah and obviously you were saying like you can be driving down to, 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 to do the procedure and they can ring you and say look you know 
that hasn't happened yeah. and blah 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 yeah. there's a lot of setbacks isn't there and yes. there's a lot of yeah. heartache and things like that and obviously i haven't been through this i've been quite blessed to have all of my, yeah. my children naturally but a couple of close friends of ours went yeah. through a a long IVF journey mm. and you know even just some of the things that I remember that I used to sort of say to them now just makes you shudder it was like oh you know don't worry about it just go away for a yeah. weekend and just yeah. just as yeah. soon as you stop thinking about it it'll happen and just sure. just crap like that and obviously if somebody is not going through it they just don't know and now you know with probably a little bit more awareness it is a pretty heart-wrenching sort of time isn't it like yeah. there's a lot of knockbacks with for lack of a better word isn't there how did you deal with that as a couple um yeah a lot of emotions involved again like it was really lucky that you know we're in a really good place and that you know we had each other and um to you know have a cry and a cuddle and talk about it um like you said there are so many people way worse off that have had you know years and years and you know they're on their 30th try or something like that and again because we weren't at that point I just always sort of thought, you know, there are so many people that, you know, way worse in a situation than we're in um, and how lucky we are to be able to have this opportunity. And, of course, there were times that I was, you know, worried and stressed thinking, geez, what if it doesn't happen? Because, you know, this is all I want is to be a mum. So there was lots of emotions with that. But, yeah, we just kept, yeah, being positive, you know, just the ocean of course we yep. forget we're both passionate about that so you know we can come and dive into there and you know do the things that we love uh, we talked we'd read lots of stuff as well about you know humor and they were saying that you know humor has you know can have a big um you know influence and that if um you know the lots of laughing can help because you read so many things and listen to so many things that okay once they put the embryo back what are some things that you can do mm. to help it you know take and stick to where it needs to be so yeah we'd read something about humor and laughing so we'd always come home and watch like a comedy or something funny and just yeah we just you do all these little things and yep. just pray that it will work awesome yep. um now onto your other passion so somebody who's as passionate about the ocean as you would not be able to help yourself than to try and drag other people into the ocean as yes. well so tell me about the albert street gang because a lot of people would know what the albert street gang is um but i'll let you sort of explain it how did it come about for a start Okay, so my friend M Vislaus, so we she lives up just down the road from me, yep. and she's always yeah as passionate about the ocean, so she gets in every day, um, like you. Um, so we would surf of a weekend with Matt as well um, every weekend. Um, just at Turner's, uh, the you know two of us or Matt too, the three of us, yep. and you know loved it. And then, then it was in two thousand and eighteen. Um, there was the first Women in Waves event at Clifton Beach, mm-hmm. where Lane Beachley was coming down. So Em and I were absolutely. This is quite funny too. Absolutely off our head because Lane's you know our idol and yep. hero. I was like, oh my goodness, seven time world champion. So she was coming. So we got tickets and we went with another two friends and we went down. Had the best day ever. So prior to that. We talked about Lane so many times saying, you know, imagine meeting her one day, etc., etc. And then this opportunity came. And then I remember surfing with them prior and going, and we were talking about a party wave. So, you know, when there's a few of you on the wave and we're saying, imagine ever being able to have a party wave with Lane. And, you know, it was, always just spoke about that. So then we go down on this day and part of the session was yoga and then you go and hop in the ocean and then Lane's in there with you. And so when, so it was maybe, maybe about 30 of us, there's two sessions. And so when you're in for that 30 minutes, Lane sort of comes along and greets and interacts with everybody. So we were there and then, you know, we could see her coming along and we're like, oh, my God, there she is. Oh, my God. How did you go? Did you get starstruck? Yeah, we were 
were totally starstruck and we were <laughs> laughing our heads off. Oh my God, she's coming over. And um, so anyway, she came over. She was beautiful, so kind, so lovely, so genuine. And anyway, we're just chatting and then she says, oh, I'd love to um, catch a wave. And we're like, well, you can use our boards, Lane. She's like, no, 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 I'll go and get one. So then she paddles out and says to Em and I, as luck would have it, like everything happens for a reason. She said, girls, you want to do a party wave? And just for her to say those words, because we'd spoken about that. You nearly fell I'm off like, your board. Oh, I did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. And so we're like, yep. So then we're paddling onto a wave, the three of us. And yep, we, yep, the wave comes. I go to pop up. Yep, fall. Yeah, wipe out. It was just like, are you shitting me? So I <laughs> are you a good out. surface? No, or I God, you. no, yep. no. Total, yeah, total beginner. I just like small, clean, little waves. Yep. No, just a beginner. But I, yeah, I just love it. Yep. They say the best surfer is the one having the most fun. Yep. So that's me. But God, no, no, not good at all. Okay. Can't just pop straight up. Have to go to a knee and then a leg, and you know. So anyway, I wipe out and makes the wave with Lane. They, you know, ride it in. So of course. From then on, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, my one opportunity to have a party wave, and I stuffed it up. So then my kids at home, they just, you know, took the mickey out of me and, you know, as they as they do. So um, that happened. And then in the afternoon of that session, she um, has a she gives a talk, and you can listen to her all day because she speaks so well. And anyway, she spoke about her having a dream team, so the importance of having, you know, surrounding yourself with people that have the same vision, the same energy, the same, you know, likes, etc. as you, and, you know, getting rid of, you know, what she classed as dream thieves, so people that are just, you know, telling you, no, that can't happen, or bringing you down in, you know, whatever way. So anyway... We listened to her and thought, wow, and drove home and chatted all about it, thinking, you know, that was inspirational. So the two other ladies that we went with, Wendy and Lou, so then there was four of us, and then we had a couple of other people from school. So then for a good maybe year or so, there was about six or seven of us, say every Saturday or Sunday, we'd meet at my place, have a surf, come back by the fire, have a coffee, and it was just, you know, the best start to the weekend ever. It was magic. Then there's a lovely man that lives down the road at um, Turner's Beach, Anthony Spinks, and he would see us and say, oh, so nice to see all you women. So that uh, Lou, she's in the 60s. Um, so again, you know, eight, you know, range of ages. And um, and then he said, I've got a mate called Rick Eves, the ABC. Yep. And he said, I, he would like to do a story on you guys. Would you be happy with that? And I'm like, absolutely, that would be great. Um, so anyway, Rick then contacted us, did the little story. And, the and story a video went, too. Yeah, so yeah, did yeah. The, yeah, the video that was on the news and whatnot. And again... That all happened when I was at school, so, you know, I had to play on it at school and tell the kids how famous I was and wore, you know, T-shirts and pretended I was sponsored and, you know, had the story up in every classroom on the big screen, Mrs. Potter's famous. Did they believe and, you? Because kids have got a good bullshit yeah. made it normally. <laughs> no, the, the grade sixes, you absolutely think I'm full of shit, but the little ones, bless them, they're like, wow, that's really you. And the big ones are like, oh, you're an embarrassment, Mrs. Potter. And... Um, so anyway, and then I think, yeah, maybe during that time, every time I'd go into the grade five, six classrooms, I'd have my phone with me and they're like, no phones. I'm like, it could be Lane, my best friend. So sorry, I'm having the, and you know, we'll just take the mickey out of each She other. might be calling me for some yeah, tips. she could be calling me. So all that happened. Then Rick's story went off. It was amazing. So then Em and I and Matt had a big talk and thought, right, you know, we just love and again, and the ladies, the six of us, you know, it's that feeling, that stoked feeling that you and I'd mentioned um, previously that, you know, you come out of the water like you would know. You never leave a surf or a cold like getting in the ocean feeling worse. You always come out feeling, oh my goodness, you never regret copping in. Like, I feel a million dollars. That was amazing. Even if the surf conditions are crap and there's, you know, it's messy and shitty, it's just still fun getting in the water. 
So we're like, okay, wouldn't it be beautiful to be able to give that to other people? But we were aware that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have the gear or the, you know, the suits or the boards or whatnot. So that's going to make it a bit hard. So we're thinking, okay, what could we do? And then as luck would have it, and the universe works in mysterious ways, a man that M knew was selling his surf school. So we didn't want the surf school, but we said we'd love to buy your gear. So we bought maybe 20 boards and about 50 wetsuits, all the stuff that he had. And he gave it to us at an amazing price. He was extremely generous. Yep. So we bought that. Then Matt and I bought this the big trailer with Albert Street that we put Albert Street Gang on the side. And then we're like, okay, we've got the trailer, we've got the gear. We could now open that up for other people. Yep. So then sort of yeah, from that moment... Um, it really started. So then we started posting it on um, Facebook. So we park the trailer on the, on the Esplanade where Albert Street is every Sunday. And so on Facebook and Instagram, we'll post during the week what time, depending on the tide. And then people, so anyone can come from anywhere. And again, it's not just um, females. A lot of blokes think that they can't come because it's just a chick thing, but it's actually for, you know, it's for anybody. It is primarily women, but we do have a few men that come, which is awesome. And so then we post the time and then people turn up, grab a suit, grab a board and just go on and have a play. Yeah. And that sort of has been going on for a good few years. And then during that time, because it got really quite big, we were sort of, a lot of people were talking to us about, you know, insurance and what if somebody hurts themselves. And we didn't want to have to get into all of that because we just wanted it to be a casual, nice thing. But then the more we spoke to people, they're like, you know, if something happened, you know, you need to be sensible and cover yourself. So then we yeah, went to a lawyer and got a waiver um, drawn up and so did it all properly. And so now when you come, you just sign the waiver and you fill out your details. But then every time you come, you only have to date and sign. It takes you about a second. So that just covers us. Um, and it's grown. So in the three years, I suppose, that it's been happening. So during the summer... We can now get, so yeah, last summer, the summer before, between 40 and I think 70 was our top, but it's normally mm -hmm. 40 to 60 people every Sunday. And again, that's just a beautiful feeling that when you hop, stand on the boardwalk and then you look at this sea of people when you mm -hmm. hear them laughing and screaming and having a great time and you think, oh, that's, yeah, there's no, no better feeling. Yeah. Um, and then in winter, we're still managing... You know, probably 10 to 15, um, yep. which is awesome because it's hardcore pretty cold. People. Yeah, you're hardcore with the boots and um, boots and gloves. Yep. And it's been, yeah, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, awesome. Yep. Now, you talked about the stoked feeling. Explain yes. to me what the stoked feeling is. You, you, you touched mm -hmm. on it, but how does it feel for you? <sighs> just, um, how would I describe it? In, in my opinion, um, it's just, um, you know, you're like you're super pumped, you're super excited, you're just, you know, super, super happy um, and you're really present. So you're really sort of, you know, in the flow and that feeling, I think the difference with stoked is that, you know, you're there and you're having the best time ever and you're just totally present. You're just thinking about what you're doing at that time. So that's mindfulness at its best. But stoked is that when you leave the water, you, you, that feeling lasts, you know, in my opinion, it, it lasts all day. Or if you've had a really amazing surf or you've been lucky enough to be out there with a dolphin, you know, a pot of dolphins, it can last for days that yep. you just have that really buzzed, stoked feeling. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't just go away. It just, yep. it stays with you, yep. So, which is, yeah, pretty special. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to share. We wanted other people to have the opportunity to have that and... Um, and yeah, then the people that come are just beautiful people. Like everybody that's there are just there for the right reasons. And when you said before, you know, can I surf well? The answer is definitely no. And I think that's a good thing because there's no pressure. It's not like your typical surf where you've got to be able to get onto your feet or whatnot. Like a lot of women just come either use a boogie board or the boards and yep. they just hop on their stomach and just ride the waves in yep. on their stomach. 
Even and just it's, burning out there, yeah, splashing around, yeah, you're still going to get the same yeah, benefit, aren't yeah. you? And it's not common. Like normally, there's some wave. You know, very rarely there'll be you know be dead flat and there's nothing. But even if that's the case, we'll just still go out and have a paddle. And like you said, just immerse yourself in the water, and you feel mm. you feel a million bucks. Yeah, and yeah, just just coming back to that Stoke mm. thing. Like you, you articulate that beautifully. Like I. I swim every day now, yep. but it's hard for me to put it into words how it makes you feel and, mm-hmm. and how you do it. But you've articulated that well. And the only the thing that I thought of as you were saying that, you know, you, you get out and the, the feeling keeps going. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't want my hair to dry when I get yes. out. Like, I want yep. it to stay wet. Like, yep. it's like, you know, like you're still in the ocean. And I found yes. even yep. when you get in now and it's fucking freezing out yep. there, like it's absolutely <laughs> freezing. Absolutely. Like, I'm only out there for two or three yep. minutes. As I'm walking out... Yep. You still want to turn around and go back in again, yes, like you. Yeah. I don't know. If you, initially, mm. it's always like a bit of a. Um, you've got to push yourself sometimes yep. to go and get in there, but it's like getting up and going for a run on a cold morning. Like yep. you, once you do it, the the benefits are awesome. Like and, and and being present, like especially being in that cold water when you jump out there, you've got. I don't know whether you go into survival mode because it's cold or what yeah. it is, but you're you're there. Like that's yes. it. Like yep. that. There's nothing else apart from you bobbing around in the water and stuff. And again, that's. That's only my experience of it, and I got um, you know someone who you know quite well, Nick Hayward, who I've had on the podcast. Like he said that to me. We talked a lot about the ocean, yes. and and after we'd finished recording, we talked a lot about the ocean. And he said, "So you love swimming?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Get back in the ocean." Yeah. I said, "You can't yeah. swim this time of year, mate." But yeah. he obviously gets it. Like, yeah. and he was telling me how he he goes in the ocean every single day, and I'll do it now for the rest of my life. And so good. And I don't know the there's obviously the mental benefits as well, but like the physical benefits and things like that. Like your body just feels better when you swim in the ocean. It does, um, it? I don't know if I'll ever swim in a pool ever again now. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I don't know whether it's the nutrients that you get out of it, or again whether it's the cold water, or again because you you're doing something so natural. And we have a rule too on that going under um, in our family, and that comes from Enver Slouse's ex-partner his rule and we've adopted it and so now all of the Mindetta crew have to adopt it as well so it's three dunks under so whenever you go to the ocean you have to go under three yep. times otherwise it doesn't constitute a swim yep. and that's yeah and you're right the first dunk's often you know the hardest but then by the other two you just actually want to go under yeah more and more yeah and when you said about your hair in the middle of winter we've trialed the hoodies but again I hate the hoodie yep. because and I think it yeah it's something to do with that just not yeah. You want to feel Lacks it on you. Or something. So, yeah, gloves and booties are fine, but yeah, I don't want the, yeah, don't want the hood. This episode of the pod wouldn't be possible without the support of Alex, Sammy, and the team at Shearwater Health and Fitness. Everyone needs a little bit of help and support at times, especially when it comes to health and wellness. Not only is Shearwater Health and Fitness supporting the Talk Hard podcast, but more importantly, they're committed to providing Shearwater and the surrounding community with a premium quality health and wellness facility. If you've been looking to take the first step or even the next step in your health and wellness journey, they provide a full-class timetable, 24-7 gym, infrared sauna, Normatec recovery boots and a massage therapist. Something for everyone, whether you're a high-performance athlete, mum, dad or just someone wanting to help be the best version of yourself. Call in and see them at 24 Shearwater Boulevard, which is right next door to the IGA, or you can check them out on Instagram and Facebook for all the details. You talked before about what Lane Beachley said about having your, your dream tribe, obviously, yep. sorry, your dream team and your yep. tribe, and obviously you've, you've got that now. How do you, do you, how important do you feel that that is in society now to, to find your people? We've all, you know, we're all made of different stuff and we've all got different interests and, and things like that. Obviously, you've seen the benefits of that. Um, can you chat about how important that is to find your people that are, that are into the same stuff as you? Yeah. 
um, I think it all sort of goes back to connection. Do you know what I mean? Like, you yep. know, we're wired and we're here to connect. Um, and so whether, you know, and connection, part of that is, you know, connecting to nature, connecting to the ocean, but connecting to each other. So I think that, yeah, that connection is yeah, super, super important. And when you find people that are into the same things and value the same things, then just, yeah, like amazing things happen. Like the, the Albert Street, like I said, it started... You know, just with M and I, and then we haven't sort of gone out and looked for all of these things. All of these things have just sort of, you know, presented itself because we've had that right, you know, tribe and dream team around. Like, you know, we were approached by Rick. So all of these amazing things have happened just by having, yeah, the right people, yeah, the right people around you. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about finding, again, I, and I would hope for that for my children as well, you just want them to be able to be themselves and not have to change for, you know, do not change for anybody. Mm. Just be your amazing self, and you're right. The right people will be, yeah, attracted. And I think we've got to get rid of the word weird. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything. Yep. There's no such mm. thing as weird anymore. No. Like nope. some yep. people would probably look at you guys swimming yep. every morning and think yep. that's a bit weird. Definitely. But it's just because yep. it's not their thing. Yes. They'll find yep. their own thing. Yeah. But I think weird needs to go. Mm. Like I always, yep. I always say again when I talk to my daughter, like nobody normal ever yep. achieved anything. Yeah, that's, You've got to be a bit fair. weird, yes. don't you? Yep, I, I, I totally, yep, totally agree with that. Yep, yeah, let's let's get rid of it. And being with the tribe as well, just the amount of enjoyment. Like I talk to my kids about that um, a lot as well. That if you're only ever happy because of things you know that happen to you, and you know if you're all about yourself, and um, you know when good things happen to you, you're happy. But if you can be happy for other people, then your chances of happiness multiply, and that's obviously a great thing. So yep. again, you know, with the Albert Street Gang being down there and surrounded by all of these like-minded people it's just such a great you know a great feeling and you just mm. couldn't walk away not feeling you know a million dollars yeah um so it's yeah it's really yeah really important and sharing that stoke so i i don't surf by myself that much um because it's obviously dangerous and i've got a role model to the children that that's not a yeah. <laughs> that's not a good idea but even if i you know a couple of times that i have it's just not the same with that with, not but you know being out there with your mates is you know a million times better than being out there on your own yep. because you just you know you talk you laugh you know you catch an amazing wave or you're just yeah you're having fun laughing screaming that doesn't happen on your own so yeah. it's just yeah it's pretty special and you said there before about you know how much you love you know burn down there with the guys as well and um you talked there before when when we were speaking about paying it forward yeah. what what are the main benefits of you as organisers? I know when you're down there, you don't feel like you're the one that's running it, but what benefits, what do you get from personally from being the one that sort of organises it, if that's for lack of a better word? Well, you just, like M and I, so like I told you before, it's an M and I, so it's definitely, you know, it's both of us. Yep. And then Matt's come on board and he does so much, so I've, you know, it's Matt as well. Yep. It's the three of us. Um, we just, and M feels exactly the same way, it's just, you just feel great you know you you just you're doing it so because a lot of people have said you know can we pay can we give you some you know gold coin donation can we donate to this but it's always just been an absolute adamant no we don't want because there aren't many things in the world that are free and yeah. i just think it's pretty special that the, you know this is something that is free so we never want you know any money to exchange hands it's just a lovely feeling to be able to give to other people yep. and then see their enjoyment you get more benefit out of giving to others yeah. don't you than taking yeah. and you get more benefit out of doing something um, like you were saying, and not not charging a fee, just yep. doing it because you know you're doing it out of the out of the goodness yep. of your heart. If they were, if people were paying, I'd imagine you wouldn't get the same stoke no, out of it, no, if, for lack of a better yeah, exactly. word. Exactly, yeah. yeah, the same stoke and buzz. You wouldn't. It would yeah. be totally. It would change everything. So, yep, yep you're. You're right. It just feels good. And then when you know the children, when my, our kids come down, so if we're doing coffee or whatnot, and they come down and help serve, it's just 
just feels good. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, this is what it's all, yeah, this is what it's all about. This is life. This so is, many benefits yeah. to that community aspect, yes. isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, everyone's going to be in the ocean after they, they listen to this, but just, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but um, can you tell us any um, stories, you don't have to name names, of people that have come and have either turned their life around or have had some sort of physical or mental um, turnaround from being in the ocean is does anyone sort of come to mind at all yeah i did think of this one so there is yeah there's one lady um and she's absolutely beautiful and she's had lots of health benefits with her ears and eyes and sight and different things and i think she'd always wanted to surf but she'd never actually tried it yep um and then she's yeah she came she comes from deloraine and yeah she now just which is just beautiful she cycles has you know said to us you know many many times that i live for sundays you know it's something She's been going through some really tough things with her health, and and I'm not sure if that's affecting her mentally as well. But she said she's going through some really tough times, and she said knowing that that's on on a Sunday, she said you know helps me get through the week, and I really look forward to yeah driving awesome. out there Sunday. So you just think, well, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And if awesome. people if people do look it up and Google it and stuff, yeah. there are so many physical benefits to, yeah. to swimming in the ocean and being yes. in that salt water. Like it's there's no it's no coincidence that the footballers have been going yes. in the water after yeah. playing for years. Like it's yeah. so good for your muscles and your body and things like that. But again, the emotional yeah. and you know, again without sounding like we're getting a little bit too cuckoo, but the spiritual side Absolutely. of it is yeah, you just. Like I said, it, you've probably helped me articulate a little bit with the stoked, stoked feeling. Like I found it really hard to put it into words, but it's just until you've actually started mm. doing it, it is hard to explain to people how good yeah. it is, like how, yeah. how good the feeling is of having a swim and coming out of there. Because my friend Wendy Adams, who, I don't know if yes. you know, beautiful Wendy Adams yep. who taught at Mindetta, yep. we, before we went down to Lane and I'd said to her, well, before she started surfing, I said, you should come surfing, Wendy, you know, give it a crack. And she's like, oh, Nat, I'm busy with other things. I don't want to have something else to do. And I'm like, you know, once you start, you'll be, you know, you'll be stoked, you'll be hooked, you'll do it. So anyway, of course she came and yeah, and she was the same. She got totally stoked. Yep. Hooked on it, yeah. Bought however many boards and yeah, she absolutely yeah, yeah. now lives for it, which yep. is um yeah, which is awesome. Once you start you won't stop. No, you will <laughs> yeah, you will not. So Um, last thing I want to talk talk to you about, which I know is another passion of yours, is em- emptying the tanks. Oh, yes, yep. yes, yes. Now how long do we need? Is this a whole other podcast <laughs> again? Is, or? Yeah, this could be another podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the Tell kids us about at school this. are very funny because they in the well being lesson, say the grade sixes, if they want, you know, an easy session or whatnot, they just know to bring up this stuff yep. and then they know that I'll go off track and talk for like thirty minutes of yeah. the forty five minute lesson on freeing the dolphins and the whales. Mm-hmm. Um, so empty the tanks and we've got a um have you been to Turner's Beach near our place on the, the blackboard on our fence? Yes, Brandon, I know that one. That? Yep. 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 So an amazing uh, man that Matt works with, um, Shane Wolf at Don College, he draws and you know, paints this amazing um you know, different things on our board. Yep. So we had a Christmas one and then we had the summer surfing one and um, he's just beyond talented. So anyway, he was after a new one because the summer one was over. So I said to him, oh, my passion, Shane, is empty the tanks and it's World Orca Month this month and the Empty the Tanks National uh, Worldwide Day actually is in May. Um, so I said, okay, do this. So he's got two orcas on there with Empty the Tanks and it looks amazing to Will's disgust because Will doesn't like having a blackboard on our fence because he thinks it's weird and it's embarrassing to live there. No such thing as weird. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm <laughs> going to tell you. Absolutely. Yeah, everything to Will is weird. So, yeah. no, that's so true. So, I don't know how I got into this, but I have. It's just my biggest passion. So, just, you know, your dolphins and whales in captivity, 
you know, it just needs to stop. Yep. Like, wow, it's just so beyond mm. um, cruel and upsetting. Um, but, you know, a tank can never, ever even come close to replicating the ocean. And when you research about, you know, dolphins and, you know, orcas are my, you know, hugest passion, their intelligence and everything about them, it's just, you know, beyond, beyond, beyond cruel. Yep. So, you know, they're just taken, you know, kidnapped from their families and dumped into these tanks and you know they just suffer and you know some of them you know obviously mentally you know have hurt people and are aggressive towards people and have killed people but again it's sort of like locking us up into solitary confinement for the rest of our lives it's just beyond uh, beyond cruel so so they're intelligent enough to actually be sad to be yeah they have um yeah they show they have emotions they their brain so so i can't i can't i was trying to think of this this morning our brain has something I don't actually understand it completely. So something like this um, cortical folds that's a sign of um, intelligence. So I think as a human we may have twenty-seven of these folds in our brain or something, and orcas have like fifty-four or something. Mm. So phenomenal. Um, and their brain, so the part of our brain, the emotional, the limbic part, the part of that in the orca is larger. And they actually have—I can't remember the exact. So I didn't look it up again, but I know years ago I've read this. They actually have like an extra bit that's to do with their emotions and family and whatnot that we don't even have. So we probably can't even understand just how connected they are to their family yep. because they've got an extra, you know, an extra bit there. Um, and they, there's all these studies have been done and their intelligence is out of this world. So they, um, depending on where they live, so they have culture, they have family. So if you are an orca, your diet will depend on where you live and your family, your mum and your grandmother teach you what to eat. So again, some orcas are just, you know, um, in um, in BC, in um, Canada, just eat um, um, salmon. And then depending if you're, so if you're an orca somewhere else, um, you'll have, you know, you might eat um, dolphins and um, smaller whales and things like that. So again, all of that. And then there's orcas in New Zealand that feed on um, stingrays. So again, depending on where you live and your parents will teach you, um, your mother, um, what to eat. And, and again, it's same with the vocalisation. So their language, depending on where they live and their family, they pass down the language. And just phenomenal. Um, and then there, so there's like resident pods that live in the one area for orcas, and then there's transient that go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So a resident pod, they're, and they're, well, regardless of where they are, their family is like their number one, so family and sound. And so when you throw them into a tank, their sound and their echolocation and their bouncing off, you know, just bounces off the concrete, is completely gone. So it's like, you know, us being in solitary. Mm-hmm. Um, and their family is then is their number one. And so for the residents, they stay. So the male will stay with its mother for the rest of their life. The females will go off and have their own families and then start their line. Yep. But they often say that a male in a resident will stay like within a metre of his mother for wow. his entire life. Jeez, okay. And so their family bonds are so, so tight. And then when they are, you know, taken, and that still does happen. I know there's a lot of places that have ruled out, which is great, taking them from the wild. But I think there are still some places, maybe in China and Russia, where um, that happens, that they're taken from their family, ripped apart, and they're put into these tanks. But they're put into these tanks in SeaWorld, like, um, you know, in the States, and various other places where SeaWorld is, and all different orcas from different, um, you know, oceans. So in the wild, they would never, ever interact at all. And so they're then thrown in this tank. So obviously the outcome of that is just, you know, disastrous. They Mm. can't communicate. They don't have the same language. They um, would never have contact with each other. And then in these, um, you know, concrete tanks are then being forced to mate and breed. So they're actually breeding orcas that would never actually exist because in the wild they would never... Um, come into contact with each yeah. other. 
um, it's just so a it's vicious just, cycle. It's a, yeah, it's yeah, so 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 cruel. I just think surely today, in today's world, we know enough now to know that that is yeah cruel and unkind, mm. and you know why should they suffer for our entertainment and money? Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty sad. And there's a famous one, um, Lolita, who's in Miami Sea Aquarium, and she's been in that um, small tank since she was captured in 1970. Wow. And so she's been in there, I think, 53 or something years, and her. Yeah, she had another orca with her, but he died in 1980. And again, their family, you know, they swim together. They swim hundreds of miles a day. She's been on her own. So again, that just is beyond disgusting. Mm. And in the world's smallest tank, um, and you think how far they would actually swim. And they just, yeah, it's on every level. It's just so sad. Mm. But they're actually, the new owners have bought the sea aquarium the Miami one, and they've actually agreed to let her uh, hopefully be released into a sea sanctuary with the hope of yeah rehabilitating and eventually being freed into yeah. the ocean, which would oh, be amazing because yeah. her mother from her pot is still alive, I think. Jeez. So it's, yeah. How old do they yeah. live to? Yeah, well, her mum is probably in her 90s, um, yeah. so she's in from the Southern Resident Pod, which is the one um, that's basically endangered. Um, but, yeah, when they did all the captures in the 1970s, um, SeaWorld is responsible for, yeah, capturing a lot, and most of them have died, and, yeah, it's pretty darn sad. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, that would be awesome. So, again, and I know we can't just empty the tanks and throw them back out into the ocean, but, again, they say that these seaside sanctuaries where, you know, they find some spots and they, you know, net it off and then at least they could be there in the salt water with mm. this fish and the currents and all those amazing things and not have to perform to get fed and could, you know, live a much happier yep. end of their life. Yeah, it's like any animals, like you say, you just yep. underestimate their intelligence and yes. you just think, well, if they're as intelligent as a human, mm. you've got to look at that as if, well, you were doing that to a human. Well, you yep. wouldn't do that to a human. No, so, yep. yeah. No, I'm, yeah, abso- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my kids, yeah, and so I said to you before that me, if they want to upset me, they'll say things like, um, yeah, mum, when I get older, I want to go and work at SeaWorld as a dolphin <laughs> trainer. And I think I said to you before, I know that, you know, my children are allowed you know their opinion on anything and they're their own people that is yeah. completely okay but i've said everything except for <laughs> emptying the tanks you can never ever do that yeah and never visit sea world and um yeah there'll just, be no christmas presents yeah absolutely it'll <laughs> yeah. be cancelled yeah so um yeah it's yeah it's funny that you were saying there before about you know the the dolphins that belonging in the ocean hopefully a lot of people that um you know, listen to this podcast might be inspired to, to jump in yes. there because there's so many benefits from it. Again, I was just going to say, you know, really um, appreciate you coming in. Like I knew that it'd be an awesome chat. Like I said, you know, if, if just if just listening to us and listening to you talk inspires, you know, one or two people to go and, and jump in the ocean, they won't regret it. So, um, you know, that's one of the main things that they can take out of it as well. But another part of it as well is um, the courage to be authentic and to be to be weird. As we said there yes. before, we got to get rid of that word, but there's there's so many benefits to having people like that in the world i think and and you know the last thing that i wanted to say to you was keep being you i know that you're um you're not going to pump up your own tires but we need more people like you in the world people who are genuine authentic and people are drawn to people like that particularly in this world where there's enough people who are pretending out there so I'm, i know personally i'm always more drawn to someone who's completely authentic and they're a safe person to to talk to and as I say in the world today you know we need more people like that we need more people having the courage to do that and using it to to help other people as well so 
all the best with the Albert Street gang and um, your numbers are going to double now on the back of this I'm sure you're going to have to buy some more boards <laughs> oh, thank, and thank you so much for having me Pleasure. Brendan and inviting me like I feel extremely honoured and privileged that you would even think of yeah having me on and yeah I was saying to Matt you know who's going to want to listen to me Plenty and that's you, extremely yeah. kind for you to say those beautiful things so thank you very much and yeah and with the Albert Street gang yeah the last thing I will say is that yeah just please if you've been thinking about it or you've never surfed before just yet yeah, come along and give it a crack and like we said you don't have to be able to surf just you know just get in the ocean hop on a board and have a play awesome. so that would be wonderful no worries no doubt you and i will probably both go and jump in the ocean yes. after this yep. so. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. no yeah. worries all the best with it thank you very much loved having that in for a chat she's a wonderful person in our community and how lucky are the kids at mine Deda, to have her guiding them to becoming great young humans Like I said, if you only listen to the 10 or so minutes of her talking about her wellbeing program, how it works and the benefits to kids, you'll have a full notebook anyway. Some of the other takeaways from our chat, including having the courage to be your genuine self, is it has so many benefits and it will draw people to you in a beautiful way. One of the ways this works is that if you are your true authentic self, you'll attract your true authentic tribe, which are into the same stuff you're into and on the same wavelength. Pay it forward. As Nat said, there's so many physical and emotional benefits of doing this for your own wellbeing, but it also has a flow-on effect as some people who you do things for will then be inspired to do the same for others and we need plenty of that in the world at the moment. If you're going through a tough time, don't underestimate the power of humour as it can help you manage the bad days and maybe try getting out into nature as it's also a great healer. And speaking of healing, lastly hopefully our chat will inspire more people to jump into the ocean as it has so many benefits both physically, spiritually and emotionally. Have a crack and you'll be able to feel your own stoked feeling which I can say from personal experience is nothing like it. Thanks for listening, and as always, make sure you hit us up with any other great stories out there who you think can help inspire and teach others. As Northwest Tassie is a remote area, I just want to quickly tell you about a great organisation doing their bit to help the rural community deal with mental health and suicide. Rural Alive and Well, or better known as RAW, R-A-W, have a mission to build healthy and resilient rural and remote communities to reduce the prevalence of suicide. RAW specialises in providing a proactive outreach and one-on-one support service which addresses situational stresses and increases protective factors to minimise the risk of suicide. RAW is non-clinical, genuine and non-intrusive. The service is confidential with no fees for participants and it uses a person-centred shared goals approach. RAW adopts a culturally sensitive, strength-based and collaborative approach to delivering services. Their team come from a range of backgrounds and receive training and ongoing support to provide evidence-informed care to people. To access their services, call 1800 729 827. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram or jump on their website www.rawtas.com.au.